We're in the fourth week of our series, Peace in an Anxious World. Help me out. Talk to me. This is the third time I've preached this, so I need y'all to pull it out of me. Have some fun with me. Say, Peace, peace. in an Anxious World. We've been looking at peace from a lot of different perspectives because a lot of people battle anxiety and, and God's will is for you to not have anxieties, to have perfect peace. And so today I want to talk to you about peace and imperfection. One more time, peace, peace. and imperfection. imperfection. Here's the thing about peace, man. Peace doesn't count if you can only have it when things are going well. That's called happiness because happiness depends on what's happening. But peace is there regardless. So I think when it comes to most people's peace, it's kind of like a thermometer. Y'all know what thermometer is, right? Especially with COVID. I realized today, Lord, help me not get sidetracked. But today I was like, thermometer like this, like put it under my tongue. Then I realized nobody does that anymore. It's like a gun. Beep. Anywho, it's like a new thermometer. I don't like. I feel like COVID invented that type of thermometer because I never saw it before, before COVID. So that is the only good thing I can think of that happened because of COVID. We have gun thermometers. Okay. Now. Um, most people's peace is like a thermometer because a thermometer only tells you what's happening on the outside. So if it's hot, you look at the th thermometer, it might say 95 degrees. If it's cold, thermometer might say 32 degrees. Um, and that's how most people's peace is. And it's not really even peace. It just reflects whatever's going on. So if things are going good out here, oh, I feel so good about things. If things are going bad out here, oh, man, I'm real anxious. Things aren't going so good right now. And God's will for you is to not have that kind of peace. That's not even real peace. God wants you to have not, not a up and down, up and down, up and down peace, but he wants it to be more like a thermostat. Thermostat, you know what that is, right? It's consistent, and it's not dependent on what's going on out here. In fact, a thermostat is set to something and then changes what's around it. So if you go into your house and your house is 80 degrees, but you put the thermostat on 70, you set the thermostat, and then everything else starts to change. God's will for your life is that your heart be set a certain way so that even when things are imperfect out here, you can still have perfect peace. Today I'm going to show you three ways, help me out, say three ways, that Jesus will treat your heart like a thermostat, and he will set it so that you can have peace even when things aren't going very well. We've been looking at Philippians 4, this whole series, I've been going like two verses at a time, and now we're at Philippians 4, 10 through 13, here it goes, you read the underlined parts, loud and proud. This is the Apostle Paul writing from prison. He says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Verse 11, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the of living in every situation, whether it's a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or with little. Verse 13, one of the most popular verses in the Bible, for I can do everything through Christ, and I know it's not underlined, but say it anyway, who gives me. Paul is a thermostat, if I've ever seen one. I mean, just look at him. He's saying, hey, when I was well fed, I was good. But when I was starving, I was still good. And it's a good reminder that emotional consistency, that's a good sign of spiritual maturity. But if we're always up and down, up and down, oh, things are great, no, things are bad, things are great, we still haven't tapped into God's true peace. Paul is sitting there saying, man, when, when I'm in prison, I'm good. When I'm free and eating good, I'm good. It doesn't really matter. Emotional consistency is a really good sign of spiritual maturity. But how do we get there? 
What is Paul's secret? Did you notice he said he had a secret? Look at verse 12 again. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Full stomach or empty, plenty or little. Here's the secret. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not going to lie to you. This verse used to rub me the wrong way a little bit. Because I would see people use it to do things that they were clearly not called to do. Okay, no shade if you've done this. But like I remember like 5'2 white boys writing Philippians 4.13 on their basketball sneakers. I could do all things. Bro, you can't touch the net. Like, stop. When the truth is, Philippians 4.13 is not about getting to do anything you want. It's about God getting you through anything you're faced with. Take the context of it. Paul is saying, when I had everything, mm, I was good. When I had nothing, I was still all right. Why? What's the secret? He said, there's a, a way that Christ can work on the inside of me, set my heart to make me so tough, make me impossible to take out. And the secret isn't that I can do whatever I want, but that Christ will get me through anything that I'm faced with. That's what Philippians 4.13 is about. So here's the secret of peace in a nutshell is that, I wrote it down, I want to make sure I say it right. The secret of peace is not always to change your situation outside, but to let Christ change you on the inside. Help me out. Say, not my situation outside, but my heart on the inside. So, Jesus Christ, if you let him, will treat your heart like a thermostat. And he will set it to the right places so that you can have peace and imperfection. Let me show you three ways he does that real quick. Here's the first thing that Christ will change. He will change your perspective so that you know, okay, this is what really matters. Look how Jesus sets the disciples' perspective. It's a lot of scripture, but we can handle a lot of scripture because in this youth group, we love the word of God because you don't need a pastor who, who just says stuff. You need the word of God to hit your life. So we're going to read the word of God, and I'll never stop reading the word of God to you. Okay, it's a lot of verses. You got the underlying part. Verse 22, then Jesus, turning to his disciples, he said, this is why I tell you not to about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than, and your body is more than, verse 24. Just the first word, right? Look, that's a perspective change. See that? Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for God feeds them. And you're far more valuable to him than any birds. Verse 25. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? No. And if the worry can't accomplish a Little thing like that. What is the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at verse 27. What's the first word? He's changing their perspective. Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory wasn't dressed as beautifully as they are. Verse 28. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will care for you. Why do you have so little faith? That's a perspective shift. Listen, the first thing Jesus will give you to give you peace when things aren't going well, he'll change your perspective so that you know, hey, this is actually what really matters. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten out of church, I've gotten out of reading my Bible, I've gotten out of prayer, and I realize I'm really stressed over things that shouldn't matter as much as they do. And maybe there's things that have way too much influence in your heart, and in my heart too. I think sometimes we trip about stuff that at the end of the day, if we had a better perspective, we would see it shouldn't matter as much. Like what they think of me. 
shouldn't weigh as heavy on my heart as I'm letting it right now. Whether or not they think I'm good at this or I'm going to be successful or any of that stuff that can weigh on us, it probably shouldn't weigh on me this hard. And a lot of times what happens is we mix the order of what matters most. Christ reminds you what matters most. So here's a little tip for you that I've found to be true in my life. You will always have anxiety if you mix the order of what matters most. You'll always have anxiety if you mix the order of what matters most. You know, some skyscrapers, I was, I found this out because I was in a wobbly skyscraper and it scared me. The tour guide was like, yeah, we're shaking. And I was like, you're a bad tour guide. Um, to make skyscrapers like actually stand, they put poles, most important thing, they put like 200 feet, maybe more, poles down into the earth so far till it hits the bedrock of the earth's crust. Because if they don't, when it gets windy, the skyscraper will literally wobble in the wind and crash. Now, the builders could argue about stuff that doesn't matter most. You know, what, what will the carpet be? How many bathrooms will we have? Will it be glass or brick? You know what I mean? And if they did, it might look great on the outside, but when the wind came, because they didn't focus on what mattered most, it would be all shaky. The same is true of your soul. If you do not let Christ root you and anchor you in what matters most, when storms come, you will not stand strong. You will be wobbly. You know what? That's what anxious literally means. It means to be pulled in two different directions, going back and forth. And whenever we're stressed out, that is exactly how we feel. What about this? Our stomach feels unsettled. And if you mix the order of what matters most and you don't let Christ root you by rooting your perspective, you will not stand strong in the wind or in the things of life that are really hard. You'll wobble in your fall. And that is not Christ's will for you you got to have your perspective shifted. you got to let him set this. Look at this scripture. It's in first, 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we don't. That's a perspective change again. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. That's pretty scary when you think about it. That means as good as they are, sports one day will be gone. As good as... Me preaching. One day, this is not how God's going to necessarily judge my life. The clothes I like to buy. You know, real quick. Somebody, it might have been someone here, but it might have been. You know, you're getting old, but you're always dripped out. And that, guys, that made my day. That was, that was the compliment that I'm going to live on for 27. I said, thank you so much. You're not. Just kidding. Um, that'd be so rude. I really, it made my day. It Was it somebody in here that said it? Uh, I was a junior high kid, so now I can't trust their opinion. Dang it. Um, so many of the things that we see, they're here today, gone tomorrow. And he finishes that verse. I didn't even finish it. For the things that we see now will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see, those are the things that are going to last forever. Do you know how you fix your eyes on the things that cannot be seen, the things that really matter most? It's kind of like last week when I was talking about how you got to center your heart. you got to get good at closing your eyes because you can't see the things that matter most anyway, and start praying to God. Start reminding yourself of the perspective he gives you in his words. Things like, God, I am so worried about this, but the truth is everything in this world is so unpredictable, but it's also temporary. And I know that what really matters is my name is etched in stone in your book forever. You care about me. This is confusing, but if you watch ravens and lilies and make sure they're fed and dressed, you're going to meet all of my needs. So I refuse to let my thoughts be dominated by the thoughts that, that people that don't even believe in you let their thoughts be dominated. I choose to fix my perspective as Christ would have it be fixed and find my peace. You have got to let Christ change your perspective. Here's what I do know. 
what you don't know about life is not as powerful as what you do know about God. So when I find myself tripping, and I'm like, I don't know, because for me at least, the things that really scare me are the things that I don't know. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know where this is going to shape up, where my life's going to go. freaks me out. But I always have to come back to what I don't know about life is not as powerful as what I do know about God. He's watching me. He'll protect me. He's going he's gonna to care for me. Christ, God has set your perspective. Then after he sets your perspective, the second thing that he likes to push on the little thermom- ther- not thermometer, thermostat mm, of your heart is not your perspective but your priorities. Help me out. Say priorities. So it's not just this is what really matters, but this is what I really need to do. Think about it. Whenever your perspective is right, your priorities naturally follow. That's why Jesus, after that long scripture we just read, look at the ravens, look at the lilies, look at how he ends that. This is the end of that little speech. Verse 31, he says, so seek, seek first the kingdom of God. That's a priority. Priority follows perspective. Take school, okay? If you know that if you don't pass a class or pass a test, you're going to fail the whole class or fail the grade. Be one of those like super seniors, okay? Did people say that? And that was a thing in, in college there were super seniors. <laughs> You'll figure it out if you go to college. Just kidding. Um, there was like a sixth-year senior like, oh, how good for you. Um, if you know that you're going to fail the grade and that's your perspective, your priority is naturally to study right? It's just simple. Priority kind of follows perspective. And it's the same in your life, in your spiritual walk with God. If your perspective is that God is the most important, I can tell if your perspective is really centered on God by what you prioritize. If you only come to church when things go bad, Jesus is your spare tire. He is not your steering wheel. He is the emergency button. He is not your savior. He's not really what you center your life on. Listen, Until you get the perspective that God really does love me and is the only one who has the authority to tell me what's best for my life. Until that is your perspective, your priority will never be Jesus. And if you want to have peace and imperfection, Jesus needs to set both your perspective and your priority. And that's a short point because I want to get to the last part. This is my favorite thing. Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with just perspective or priority. But the last thing he'll set on the thermometer of your heart is your passion. Everybody say passion. So it's not this is what really matters or this is what I really need to do, but this is what I want to do. I think so many times we come to church, and if you're not careful, the preacher will just tell you like, this is what you need to do. This is what God says is right, and that's good and all, but sometimes we'll forget to tell you that God just doesn't want you to do right. God actually wants you to want to do right. There's a big difference. I started preaching at 17 years old. So I've been preaching for 10 years now today. Woo. Um, happy decade, Jeffrey. So I, I, I wasn't fishing. I just did the math in my head. It was easy. They both ended in seven. Okay. Um, when I was preaching at 17, I didn't understand this as much yet. So most of the time I would just preach like, you know, God says do this. So let's all do it. And I know, right? And everybody would leave. Like, why is nobody getting saved? <laughs> Josh, shut up. I love you, Josh. You're in the back row. You've been sinning? Just kidding. Um, <laughs> Mr. Long, I'm sorry. Don't kick me out of faith academy. Um, but 
the older I got, listen, ah, I hope you hear this. The older I got, the more I realized God doesn't want to change your behavior. He wants to change your heart. There's a big difference. The gospel isn't about changed behavior. It's about a changed heart. God doesn't want a bunch of people who just begrudgingly do right because he says to do it and we have to do it. He loves you more than that. He wants to transform your heart so that he doesn't just set your perspective or your priority, but your passion. So you're not like, oh, I do this because my friends do it or my parents do it. But like, man, God has changed my heart. He's so good and, and I want to do this. And maybe you're like, well, can you show me that in the Bible? Yes, I can. Okay, because Paul we're looking at Philippians 4, but rewind two chapters. It's like a theme in his book. Christ at work on the inside of you is like his answer to so many. And look at Philippians 2.13. He says, for God is working in you, giving you the, that's your heart. He's giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. If you have this version of Christianity where you're always dragging your feet and like, God, because you say, I guess I'll do it. Somebody sold you the wrong version of Christianity. That is not what God wants for your life. God wants to change you on the inside so that you're like, it's crazy. Like, God, yeah, he changed my actions, but the actions was a byproduct. He really changed my heart. I really want to live for God. Not because my parents are, or my friends, but because I see that God is my Savior. He loves me. He wants the best for me. And I don't know how, but he's changing my heart. God changes your passions. I was talking to this kid who was like fighting with his parents a lot. And at first, when he first started coming to church, he was telling me about it. He was like, Pastor G, I fight with my parents all the time, and they're not saved, and they don't even live for God. They don't care. They don't really believe in God. And the truth is, I don't even feel bad when we fight because yeah, I'm not respectful, but I feel like I am right. And I didn't really know how to say that. I was like, okay, cool, have a good one. Um, but he kept coming to church, kept learning, kept showing up. And one day he was talking to me, and he was like, you know, Pastor G, it's weird. I still fight with my parents a lot. He said, but lately I've been feeling really bad about it. And, like, I still don't think they're right. But the truth is I don't want to fight with them. What's happening? I don't know why it's happening. And I was like, I know why it's happening. It's because God's changing your heart. That's the thing about God. He, he sets your heart to where you legitimately desire to fight. It's Christ who works in you, giving you not just the power to do what he's asking you to do, the desire to do what he's asking you to do. That changed my world when the light bulb went on because I was trying to tell this kid, God changes your heart. And now the natural question you ask is, okay, if that's the case, then how? How does God change your heart? And to be honest, I guess the best thing I could say, and it's, ah, I'm sorry if this isn't a good enough analogy, but th there's a scripture in the Bible, and it says that we could tell a lot about how God works just by looking at nature. Nature has, like, God's DNA all over it. So let me ask you this. How does a plant change? It's rooted in a place. It's in the right environment. It takes in the right stuff. And slowly but surely, little by little, the plant will change, mature, grow. And I guess to you, if you were like, Pastor G, how does God change my heart? I guess I would say the same thing. The truth is, little by little, are you rooted in the right place? Are you in the right environment with friends that pull you to God or away from God? Are you taking in the right stuff? Are you putting the word of God on, uh, on the inside of you? Are you listening when I prepare these sermons? Because I'm trying to give you the word of God in a way you understand. I hope it helps. I hope you take notes. I hope you go study it when you get to your house and read the Bible by yourself at your house. But I can tell you that if you keep yourself planted in a good environment, slowly, 
taking in the right nutrients little by little by little by little. Not in a day, but seasons at a time, just like in nature. You'll look back and you'll be like, man, I've changed a lot. I promise you, I look back on me at different stages of my life, me at 17 years old. And I'm like, man, I'm so different. And I can't tell you when it happened. I can just tell you that when I follow God consistently from 17 to 20, I was like, man, I'm a different person. Like I, like I used to like things that I don't even like anymore at 17. I used to struggle with things that now just gross me out when I was 17, but now they don't. And then when I look at myself at 27 now and back at 20 years old, and it's like, man, I can't believe I used to be this way or I can't believe. And I'm sure when I'm 30 in three years, I'll look back at me at 27 and be like, man, God is still changing my heart. That's the beauty about God. He works on the inside of you. And at the end of the day, that's what Philippians 4.13 is all about. It's not about getting to do anything you want. It's about letting Christ work on the inside of you so that you're more like him and you can get through whatever you are faced with. So let me recap because I got to close. It's 827. I'm doing pretty good today. Everybody give me a hand clap. I never, I never end on time. Look at God. This is what Paul's saying. You can have peace and imperfection. You can be a thermostat that's consistent regardless of your situation, not a thermometer that only reflects it. The secret is to let Christ work in your life. How does God work in your life? He'll set three things in your heart. He'll get your perspective right, so you know this is what really matters. He'll get your priority right, so this is what I really need to do. But more than that, he'll get your passions in the right place, so you say, this is what I really want to do. Hey, can I end with one encouragement because I have time? I wasn't going to do this, but I got two minutes. I can say it in two minutes, and it might go over your head, and it might not, but whatever. At least I'll try. I'll try to explain it. Um, they don't even have the, the scriptures on the, the thing, I don't think, because I wasn't planning to tell you guys. But sometimes, literally, this has nothing to do with the message anymore. I leave so much stuff out of my messages when I talk to you, but this one I didn't want to leave out because I thought it was cool. So many times when we go through in, like hard seasons, times of imperfection, we will think we did something wrong. We will think, uh, I must have messed up. I'm stressed right now because maybe God's mad at me. And the truth is, that's not always the case. I got to show you something that Paul says that when I saw it, I was like, whoa, that's pretty crazy. In Philippians 4, 11 through 12, I don't think you're going to be able to see it. But Paul says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, everybody say learned, how to be content with whatever I have. Now, stay with me. I got to teach a little bit, okay? We're going to go to school for just a second. In the Greek, there's a couple words used for, like, learned. And this particular word he uses literally means learned from experience. Meaning, I didn't learn it by reading it on a, in a book. I didn't learn it because somebody told me. I learned it because I went through it. You know, experience is the best teacher. So he says, essentially, I have learned from experience how to be content with whatever I have. And then in verse 12, he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned how, I've learned, he says it again, the secret of living in every situation. Everybody say learned. But this time he says it. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether full stomach or empty, plenty or little. It's a different word that literally means I've been initiated into. Anybody ever have like an initiation? Like you get to high school and they're like, shave your head. Or you get on the basketball team, right? You get initiated. I'm sorry. Um, that's, so he uses this word. And what's crazy about this word is other religions of the day, not Christians. They would use this word 
to describe people that would be initiated into knowing like the deepest secrets of a religion. And the Apostle Paul uses this words, and he says, basically, I've been initiated into learning this. Why am I being a nerd? Here's the reason. It's not to impress you. It's to help you see what Paul's really saying. He's saying, the good and the bad that I've experienced was God's way of initiating me into actually learning real peace. Real peace that isn't dependent on circumstances. Because real peace, you can't have real peace without having bad circumstances. Other words, it's just happiness. So Paul is saying, saying, God had to put me through it. He had to make me experience it in, other, in, in, in order to initiate me into all of the real peace. So here's my encouragement, and then I'm ending. Your problems are not proof that God's mad at you. What you're stressed about, what you're dealing with, you need to get it out of your head that maybe it's because I've screwed up. Maybe God's mad. Your problems are a way of God initiating you into the greatest secret of Christianity. And here's the greatest secret of Christianity. Whatever you go through, Christ within you is greater than the world against you. So you can be like Paul when he says, when I had little, when I had little, and I was like, God, why are you putting me through this? Eventually he got to this point in his life where he was like, you know what? All, after all the mud I've been dragged through, for God, I lived right. I got stoned with rocks. I got put in prison. I was living good. I was living like a good moral life, and I was going through all this, like, hell on earth. And then when he's looking back in prison, he's like, but it, I see it now. It was God's way of initiating me. Problems are like initiation to learn true peace. So whenever you're going through problems, understand, God may be in your problem more than you think he is. Maybe God's not absent or giving you the problem because you messed up. Maybe it's not a problem or a punishment. It's a lesson. And God's saying, hey, this season right now is to teach you what real contentment is. This season right now is to teach you what real peace is. This season right now is so that you can look back on the other side of all the things you went through and say, yeah, but Christ did something in me. And what's crazy is I went through all of that bad time. And I really know Christ in me is so much greater than the world against me. And they have something, or I have something that the world can't touch and the world can't take. So guess what? I'm all right. That's peace and imperfection. That's what Philippians is all about. So would you bow your head? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you so much for these students. God, as they go through things that are hard, let them know maybe it's not punishment, but it's their lesson. It's their initiation into understanding that they can really be aware that you're on the inside of them, giving them contentment that they can tap into. Hey, keep your head bowed, keep your eye closed before we get out of here. I'm going to ask you two things that I always ask before we get out of here. And here's the first one. Maybe you're in here today, you're like, Pastor G, man, the truth is, I don't even know if me and God are on good terms. I've never asked Jesus to really be the Lord of my life. I've never really felt anything when I'm at church. But today, I felt like God was dealing with me. And I feel like I'm supposed to give my life to him. I feel like he's asking me to follow him. So if you're in here today and you say, yeah, that's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. On the count of three, would you just raise your hand right where you're at? One, two, three. Awesome. I see that hand in the back. Awesome. If you're in here today and you say, Pastor G, the truth is at one point I was following God, but I haven't been following him. And I need to rededicate my life to him. God has not been my number one priority, but today, like, yes, I believe in God, but I know he's calling me 
to really be serious about him. And I want to rededicate my life. If that's you on the count of three, you say, I want to rededicate my life. On the count of three, would you just lift your hand right where you are? One, two, three. Awesome. See that hand, see that hand, see that hand. A lot of hands going up. Awesome. Well, do me a favor. Would you put your hand on your heart? And would you repeat after me? Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. But I know you're a savior. Thank you for loving me when I didn't care about you. Thank you for running me down when I was running away. Make me new. And if I fall, give me the grace to get back up. Put people in my path who will lead me towards you. I believe that you are Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said, hey, amen. Hey, will you give a hand clap? There's a lot of people that made that decision today. That's awesome. Well, hey, for real, before I dismiss y'all, I just want you to know I woke up. It was my birthday. My wife's not here, so it was just me and my dog. And I was like, well, this is kind of depressing. But then I just started thinking about my life. And I could tell you the greatest blessing of my life is the people in it, without a doubt. So I hope you know how much I really do love you guys and appreciate you guys. We'll see y'all next week. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>